Welcome to another episode of Culinary School Stories, the weekly podcast that is dedicated to sharing the stories of people around the globe whose lives have been influenced, impacted, touched, and or enriched, for good or for bad, from their culinary school experience. Hi, my name is Colin Roach and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. You are an important part of this show where we ask the question, what's your culinary school story? So now, without any further delay, let's meet today's guest. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Culinary School Stories podcast, a proud member of the Food Media Network. And if you have not yet subscribed to the show, please do so. It is free, and we would love to have you as part of our community. You can also subscribe or follow the show through your favorite podcast apps, such as Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or you can do it through our website at www dot culinary school stories dot com which is also where we store all of the podcast past episodes in our guests bios and contact information so be sure to check out the website and sign up for our free monthly newsletter so now I'd like to introduce today's guest who grew up on the west coast of Florida, just outside of Tampa. After culinary school, he went on to the workforce to gain experience and perfect his skills. After quickly climbing through the ranks at several different types of properties, he eventually ended up as the corporate executive chef for the Melting Pot Restaurant at the young age of 25. However, after seven years in that role, when he opened up hundreds of restaurants in numerous countries, he moved on to take on the position of corporate chef and vice president of culinary strategy at First Watch Restaurants, where he currently is today. And with that said, I would now like to welcome Chef Shane Shibley to the show. Shane, thanks for joining us today. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Chef. It's, uh, it's great to hear your voice and see you again. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot to catch up on here. So why don't we tell the listeners where you started? How did your love of food materialize? Was it a young age, later on in life? And how did that get you to culinary school? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, so my my parents, uh, they divorced when I was six years old. So I was raised um, by my mom primarily, you know, go see my dad on the weekends and things like that. So my mom was raising two boys and uh, my, my brother and I, he's 18 months younger than me. Um, she's a huge, uh, coach and, and she's a, a teacher in a Catholic school. So, you know, my dad was a cop, you know, home life was, was pretty strict, but we were always on the run. We were always doing sports of some kind. So there wasn't, you know, uh, this great memory of home cooked meals every, every single night at the dinner table, you know, that, that, that wasn't how we were raised. Um, but I think, you know, my, my early love of like, really good food has to be attributed to, to one of my ex-girlfriends. And, you know, I, I, I dated the same girl from eighth grade until I was like 21. And I'd known her since, since kindergarten. Her family was a great family friend. And they um, did have family meals and, and, uh, and they went to great restaurants all the time. They had, you know, he had the, the dad, uh, Dr. G, he had, he had four kids. So they would, they would go to Burns and places like that and take me along at a young age. And, and it just like amazed me what was going on in these restaurants. I'd never seen anything like that in, in my life before. And I think thinking back now, like that's the first time I really saw like proper service and, and actual like beautiful plated dishes and composed dishes. So I think that's the first time it really like resonated with me. Oh, great. And so then you started cooking because you, you, now you were a connoisseur. Now you got yeah. into the business. And what was your first job? Like, dishwasher like many of us or you're a line cook man bus boy for sure so i was uh <laughs> i was i was 14 years old 
And, uh, and I got in a little bit of trouble with my mom. And basically she said, you, you're grounded. The only way you're getting out of this house is if you get a job. <laughs> um, you know, obviously thinking this 14-year-old kid's not going to get a job. So she went in her room. I, I went out to the garage. I got on my bike and I rode to the closest thing, which happened to be a, a traditional German restaurant uh, right on the corner. It was, you know, a, a seven-minute or eight-minute bike ride for me. And uh, traditional German restaurants in Dunedin, Florida, it was called Madkoff's. And the, the, the chef's name was Eric Koff and he named his restaurant Mad Koffs. Like he was crazy <laughs> straight off the boat, just yelling and everything that you, you know, all the stereotypical things you think of when you think of like German chef, uh, it was, it was him. And, uh, and I rode my bike to the back door and I knocked on the door and he answered the door and I said, um, I want a job. Um, I have, I have an application and I was really like skinny, lanky kid. And he just, he stood there in the door. He had a cigarette in his mouth. He looked me up and down. and was like, you're too skinny to work in the kitchen and slammed the door. <laughs> so, so I rode my bike to the front of the restaurant and I went in the front door and the girl, a young girl who was bartending out her name was Abby. She must've been like 21 or 22 or something. And, uh, and I asked her if she had an application, if they were hiring, she said, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she let me She's like, do you know how to bar back? I said, uh, yeah, you just grab ice and stuff. Right. She's like, yep. So I filled out the application and, uh, and she hired me basically to be a bus boy or be a bar back in the front of the house. So, um, <laughs> unbeknownst to the chef who was in the back unbeknownst the to the chef. Yeah. And, and uh, and he, he, you know, he came out a, a couple hours into my first shift. He was like, what are you doing here? You're too little to work in the kitchen. I said, Oh, Abby hired me in the front. I'm going to work in the front. <laughs> and, uh, and that was that. I mean, I, you know, I, I absolutely fell in love with the restaurant industry from that moment on. Like we, you know, bus boys, we were, we were making Caesar salads, like, you know, dressing from scratch every single time, everything into the wooden bowl, toss, toss, toss. We were making desserts, apple strudel and, and, and stuff like that. And it was just, I don't know, the, the love and the, all of it, the love, the anger, the excitement, like everything that went on in the restaurant, just, just amazed me. Like people were, we're super welcoming and, and, uh, and everyone in the front of the house, especially like, you know, wanted to take care of, you know, me and my buddy started at the same time. We wanted to take care of these two young kids and like teach us the ropes and let us know what was going on. But, um, I mean, Eric was, he was, a, he was a great chef in, in his own right for sure. Um, but, but, you know, he, it was a different time, right? So this is probably like 96, maybe 95, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he would drink Beck's beer from a pitcher and have it up on his station on the line. He would smoke cigarettes on the line. And he, when his picture was gone, he would yell from the kitchen to the front, Abby, bring me a Bex. And sure <laughs> enough, Abby would run back there with a new picture of Bex. And like, you know, I saw things happen in that restaurant. I saw knives get thrown. I saw saute pans get thrown. And it never scared me away. Like, I just, I don't know. I, I felt it. It, it, it. it spoke to me. So that was that was where I fell in love. Yeah, the, cra the craziness, the chaos. It's pretty exciting. Exactly. Exactly right. So then you uh, kept working. And at some point, light bulb or a mentor or someone must have mentioned culinary school. And take us to how that materialized going and enrolling and yeah i, I uh you know from there I, I i moved on and and went to another little local restaurant uh <laughs> it was called sundance bar and grill and it was a restaurant on on in a marina so you had all these like old salty dog fishermen and same same deal like bartenders are you know doing all kinds of crazy things at the restaurant it's just like all the restaurant stories that you want were, were there and it was uh 
a guy named John was a kitchen manager and it was like five of us boys who were in high school and, and, and we effectively ran this kitchen, right? And, and some of us were able to have, you know, a, a work study program so we can open the kitchen at like 10 a.m. and then the rest of us would close it at night. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. So I think, you know, that was the first time and, and John, um, you know, gave all of us an opportunity and, and that was the first time that it was like, all right, this is this is a this is a path. This is something that I can do. I love doing it. It turns out I'm I'm good at it. I can handle myself on the line. And John explained, you know, hey, you, you either go to culinary school, you get your piece of paper, and, and you work your way through the ranks that way, or you go work for someone who you know who has some street cred, and uh, and you skip the whole school thing. You you save a lot of money, but it's a harder path. Mm-hmm. And he would always tell it would always tell us boys this, you know, if you guys want an opportunity, I'm happy to give it to you. I know people in New Orleans and like Tahoe and 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 whatever. So, you know, fast forward all the way through high school when it comes time to start choosing your life path. And and I, you know, told my parents I, I, I want to go to culinary school. And uh my, my mom being a, a teacher and my dad being a cop, both of them in separate conversations were like, absolutely not. Uh you, you know, you're you're a super smart kid, you're not gonna you're not going to go waste your, <laughs> basically waste your, your college years in, in a culinary school, learning to cook. Like it, it wasn't a thing yet. You know, you had Emerald, right. you had Julia Childs, but you know, there, there was no food network. There was no celebrity chef that, that sort of thing hadn't really um, taken hold yet. So I think it was still, you know, viewed by most people as, as a, a little bit of a lower class job. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I did great in school. I loved school. Um, I took architecture for four years in high school. We had a great architecture program at, at my high school. And basically, I, I was told I couldn't go to culinary school. So I ended up applying to, quote unquote, real college. Um, I got accepted to Auburn University. I got a full academic scholarship. Wow. And, uh, you know, I, I, I went and, uh, and I put my, my dreams, I guess, on hold for a little while. And, and I went to Auburn and I, and I loved it. I loved my regular classes, but because I'd done architecture for four years, they were trying to teach me how to sketch trees and stuff. And I was like, look, look at my portfolio. Look, you know, can you, can you, can I take higher, higher classes or clip out of this or anything? And basically they told me, you know, we don't really care what you did in high school in Florida. You should have gone to college in Florida. Um, so I, you know, stopped going to my classes and turns out if you don't go to your classes, they take your scholarship away. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I came home and I, I tried real college again at a, at a, at a junior college here in, in Tampa. And by the end of that, you know, my mom was basically like, look, you, you spent all the money we had saved for you for college. You, you do whatever you want. You're on your own. And I was like, thank you. So I can go to culinary school. <laughs> and, uh, and I did, I went online, I did some research and I found, you know, a, a, an amazing lady who's still a great friend to this day. Her name's Robin Pfeiffer. Um, she's a recruiter for Johnson and Wales. She lived in the Tampa Bay area and I reached out to her and I, I was 21 years old and I basically explained my situation, my story. I have no money and, and I love culinary. I love, I love working in restaurants. I've done it since I was 14, blah, blah, blah. And I need help. And she said, all right, well, we can get you help. And, uh, and she did, she said, Hey, you know, fill out this paperwork, um, write, write these essays, gave me all of the tools I needed to, to make sure that I could pay, you know, pay my way in culinary school. And, and basically got me an interview with Johnson and Wales. And, and I, I mean, I'll never forget every single time I, I go down to that area of Tampa, it's called West shore. Uh, you know, I met, I met Robin and, and, and you know, it was kind of like a recruiting um, session, I guess. And, and, and they would, they would review your transcripts and, and interview you in person and, and basically give you an acceptance right there on the spot. And I, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I, don't, I haven't forgotten what I was wearing. Like I remember I was so nervous, so terrified. 
that they were going to tell me no, I couldn't go to this culinary school. Oh my god! And it was the easiest interview in the world. It was so great, and they were so like they were they were so happy to have me. And I, I was like, I've been stressing about this for weeks. But uh, but anyway, so so they they uh, they accepted me, and I ended up going um, in the fall of two thousand three. Uh, you know, again, I was I was twenty one years old, and and I'd already tried real college. This is kind of my last shot. Mm-hmm. But I was ready, and and I loved it, and I loved Miami, and it was awesome. Now, did your parents, I'm guessing, we're jumping ahead here, came around at some point, right, and said, this is good for him? Ab- absolutely. I think, you know, as all parents, they, they were proud that I'd, that I'd taken some steps on my own and that I was moving in the right direction, and, and you know, college is college. And yeah. um, at th- by that point, like, so much had changed, right? I don't know what your Food Network rolled out or, or whatever, but the, the role of a chef or the idea of a chef had become more. Yeah. Um, so I think it was it was a little bit more widely accepted. Now you're a celebrity, right? And now it's a, everybody wants to do Right, it. right, right. <laughs> so had you visited the campus before that meeting or, you know, did you go down and visit? I know they have a lot of orientations and stuff. Um, I went down for, for Wildcat Weekend um, after I had been accepted um, and, and, and visited and kind of, you know, uh, did the tour and, and all those things. They put me up at the Western Diplomat. And uh, man, I'd never seen a hotel like that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty big thing, right? You know, people come in, it's right on the beach. It, it was a very big thing. It's crazy, man. It was it was wild. And my mom, you know, my mom came down there with me and and uh I, I don't know, I, I I emailed you a couple of photos. So I have those photos from Wildcat Weekend. And like there was a bathtub that you could open the window and you could watch the TV from the back. It blew my mind. I couldn't <laughs> believe that, that this was the I'd never seen anything like that in my life. Um so it just made a huge impact on me. And, and, you know, all the instructors I met, of course, Robin was down there to welcome me. And everyone was so um, great and like welcomed, felt like me personally, like with open arms. Yeah. And so it just felt like the right fit. That's like the hospitality industry in, in general, right? It's yeah. like, you know, you go work at a restaurant, they, they, they take everybody. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So what was the first day like when you got to campus? Because you were older, right? Yeah. You know, a lot of the students were at a high school 18, so that must have you know been something. But you get in, they give you the knife kits, the uniforms, they give you a schedule. And I mean, take us through that. And maybe the listeners that are like, have not gone to culinary school yet, kind of what that is, what it entails. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was so I, I grew up going to, to Catholic school from kindergarten, eighth grade. And uh you know, uniforms and, and your hair couldn't you know, touch your collar or, or, or flop mm-hmm. down by your ears or anything like that. So like I was used to uniforms and, and, and that sort of thing. So that didn't really bother me. In fact, I, you know, I knew how to iron, like I, I was good, <laughs> um, clean, you know, clean shaven face every single day. And, and, and when they're like laying these things out, you can see in these kids eyes, they're, they're, they're freaking terrified, you know? And, uh, yeah. And I, I it, it didn't bother me. I was, I was ready to roll. So yeah, uniforms and, and make sure everything's pressed. And I mean, hell, some of these kids probably never even plugged in an iron. Yeah. Um, and you saw it and you, and you saw it quickly in the first, you know, the first set of labs, like who was, <laughs> who needed some help, <laughs> who, who'd had to do this in their life before and who'd really been, uh, been pampered and taken care of their whole entire life. Yeah. It's like the saying is like no earrings, no, no long nails. And they're like, Oh, I can't take this out. You know, this earrings in it's like, well, yeah, you want to go to culinary school. It's going to come out. Yeah. It was, it was, it was to a certain extent, uh, you know, a lot, a lot like the military. Right. And, and mm-hmm. it didn't matter to me. I, I was, I was ready for it, but, I do remember my my first class was was Chef Lazar uh, in, in in meat cutting and uh, 
And he was awesome, man. And I was, I was terrified. I was so intimidated by all, by all of you guys, by, by all of you chefs, um, you know, with your, your tall hats and your long sleeves. And, um, but Chef Lazar, again, just like, he's such a cool guy. I mean, we stay in touch still to, to this day when I open restaurants around him, you know, I, I make sure and get him an invite to it and things like that. But like, he was just so open and, and it felt like honest about the industry and like, Hey, here's how it's going to be. And uh, it was great. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of, you know, school for four days and then you have the weekend off so you can work in the industry. Like the, the idea of this as my college was, was great. It was almost like a vacation, but like, yeah. it was so crazy to me when all my other friends were, were grinding and, you know, they'd been in college for two years and it was, it was really three years. And, and some of them, it was so rough on them all. I loved it. And, and it was pretty, pretty cut and dry. Like, Hey, you know, don't, don't skip class. Uh, you can't miss more than, you know, you can't miss two classes. You can miss one day out of your nine day lab. Right. But you can't miss two. So, okay. The rules are pretty, pretty simple, pretty cut and dry. Be clean shaven, press your jacket. Like, all right, I'm, I'm ready to go here. Um, and I like that we were with the same crew, you know, through that first round of labs. I think that that was great for me. I, I, I made, lifelong friends and 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 as a matter of fact you know I'm, I'm going up to providence here in a couple of weeks to visit my my roommate from culinary school who actually ended up going to providence getting his four year then getting his master's he runs mount snow and in vermont his name is mike giorgio and he was a great friend i met in my first set of labs and then um as a matter of fact my my heinz national accounts rep his name is Tom Pilla. He, he, he also, uh, I met him that first round of, of labs in culinary school. So, you know, like I said, I have, I have lifelong friends that I met during that first round. And it's really a small industry, yeah. you know, the hospitality, the restaurant business. So, you know, you graduate with people, you, you most likely going to run into them somewhere, you know, at a convention or, you know, through the, exactly. through, you know, work, work industry. So. It's, it's great. Yeah. And going back to the instructors, you know, and a lot of people don't know that they may be listening to this, you know, it's chefs, Gordon Ramsay, you know, they have a reputation sometimes, but you know, culinary instructors, they're teachers, yeah. you know, they're, they've gone, they've changed. So they, they're welcome. They want to pass that information on. So some people come in and they're scared. And yes, there is an intimidation, you know, the big hats and all that, but for the most part, you know, when they hire instructors out there for all the culinary schools, you know, they're teachers first and they really care about the students and their well-being. And so, and, and I'm sure you saw that pretty quick as you, yeah. you know, but that first intimidation until you get there and then once you meet them. For sure. I mean, you know, but, but you also hear, you know, you hear stories and you hear rumblings. And so I, I because I was 21, um, I had to stay in Emerald, um, which for the listeners, so like when you're right out of high school, they'll put you in Flamingo which is, you know, dorms, but the dorms, like you go downstairs, your elevator and you're, you're in your classroom. Like they really tried hard to, to not allow you to stray. Keep you close. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They didn't want anyone, you know, wandering off. Um, and at that point, the campus was very, very different than it is today. Um, if you wandered too far, it was, it was a dangerous neighborhood. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, so I stayed in Emerald. So I stayed with a bunch of older kids and, and my, my three roommates uh, were in their second year already. And so they were like, they were like, oh, let me see, let me see who you have, let me see who you have. Like, oh man, Hensley, he's he's ruthless, you know. And 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 so you know, you had this like idea in the back of your head and and these horror stories. But you know, Chef Hensley too, uh, just an awesome, awesome, great guy. And you know, I, I'm I'm big, so I'm I'm like six five, six six, you know, whatever, two two hundred and fifty pounds. And and uh, I think Chef Hensley liked that I was almost as big as him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can look eye to eye or even look up. Yeah, I could see, you know, I could see eye to eye with him, but uh, 
But, uh, you know, they also, you know, him especially, you, you, you would do that, you know, the credit card on your face to make sure you had no stubble to, to, to prove that you shaved that morning. So, and I, I, you know, I had no problem. I always, you know, clean shaven. And like I said, press my jacket. So I think that, that like, you know, set me apart in, in his eyes. So I might've gotten a little bit of a pass on that one. <laughs> yeah. So what was the first class that was meat cutting? Yeah. First class was meat cutting. And I, I as a matter of fact, in preparation for this, I, uh, I went and pulled my transcript. So it appears as though I got a B plus in, in me cutting, but, uh, but yeah, that first round, you know, um, I also had Dixie, uh, for, for a dining room and, and I think principles of the beverage service. She, she was doing that as well. Dixie Marsala and Eve Peridot. Yeah. And, uh, and again, she was awesome. She, she was, she was so great and like welcoming and, and like you said, like truly, uh, all about the hospitality industry and uh you know she she definitely sticks out for me there as well and so knowledgeable so much skill they 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 bring to this to the the program to the students you know from their from their backgrounds yep great so you stayed on for the two years did you what did you do for your internship your externship that you had to do during those two years yeah so my <laughs> the first year you know you go on you go four days on and and then you have uh you know three days off so you can work in the industry so I, I took that as drive home every weekend and party with your friends. <laughs> so <clears throat> my whole first year of culinary school, effectively, I was driving home like every weekend. I mean, it was a four-hour drive uh, across Alligator Alley and up 75, it was, you know, pretty pretty easy and, and uneventful. But I mean, you could get out of your, if you had morning labs, you could get out of your morning lab around one, right, on Thursday. Sure. And, and I would be home and be able to hang with my friends Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and drive back home to Miami. So uh that's basically what i did my whole first year and and, and my mom just like shane what are you what are you doing you're supposed to be working and uh one of my one of my roommates um at emerald uh he had a friend who had a catering business and they were doing like crazy catering events in fort lauderdale on yachts and i, I would go work you know a wednesday night and and walk with like 250 dollars cash <laughs> and so i so i had money coming in and so i didn't really have to find a, a you know a, a quote-unquote real job that whole first year but but in between when i came home i i ended up working for uh, a chef here called chris pont and he had a restaurant called cafe pont he was also a johnson and wales grad uh from up in providence and he went to port on blue in paris and just an awesome guy and a great chef and great chef friend and, and mentor to me still to this day so i worked for him all summer and then when i came back it was it was time to do my externship. So you get, I guess it's like a lottery draw where you could either get your 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 externship at the beginning of the year or or the middle semester or the end. And I ended up pulling it um, first in the fall, which was awesome. Um, and I, I I don't know how it happened, but but by the you know through the grace of God or whoever was watching out for me, um, I got an externship at the Ritz Carlton on South Beach. Awesome. And uh, as a you know at that point a twenty two year old culinary student, uh, you know, I tell people, you know, when they hear, oh, you worked at the Ritz Carlton? I did. Uh, I was below the bottom rung on the totem pole. So like <laughs> you were, you were, I mean, on Sundays, I'm cracking, I don't even know, 525, I think was the number, 525 stone crab claws. You're shucking, you know, a thousand oysters for this big, beautiful buffet. Um, you're working the buffet, you're working the omelet station. You got to get there at like four, 4.30 in the morning. And I, I distinctly remember, you know, you couldn't park on, on anywhere near the hotel. So you had to find parking somewhere on South Beach, right? Pay someone and then walk to work. And I would walk with my knives under my, under my arm, head down, 
4, 4.30 in the morning, and I will never forget seeing my friends drunk, leaving clubs, walking back to the, towards their car, and I was crossing them on the opposite side of the street. <laughs> uh, I just remember putting my head down and like, this is going to pay off someday. This is going to pay off someday. And, uh, you know, here, here we are. So I guess it, I guess it did. It paid off. But it, it was fantastic, man. My, uh, the whole experience of, of working at the Ritz was awesome. Um, my chef there, Thomas Connell, is, is, is a great, uh, fantastic, you know, chef and, and just like a great human being, you know, and, and he taught me so much. I mean, there, there was no reason for <laughs> the executive chef of the Ritz Carlton to, to, to hang out and spend time with, with a kid who's in culinary school, but man, it, it stuck out of my head every single morning. Chef Thomas would get there and no matter who was working, he would walk the line, the dish pit everywhere and shake the hand of every single, every single cook, every dishwasher, porter, whatever. And just, you know, two minutes. Hey, hey, Shane, how's it going? How's school going? You know, how, have you been back home to see the family? Like how he, this guy even knows that I, that I would go up to Tampa and, and see the family. Like it just really stuck out in my mind. And, and he was so helpful as a, as a chef and really, you know, helped me through that, that process. And, and there, you know, you hear horror stories of, you know, you go do your externship and all you're going to do is peel potatoes or, or, or onions, Juliet onions for, you know, eight hours a day. And then they send you home, but man, he let me work in, in, in every single kitchen um, from, Garmage to, to banquets to the, the two feature restaurants, absolutely amazing feature restaurants. And 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 he embraced the I think the teaching part. And uh, you know what I what I found really unique about the Ritz Carlton is they they have almost a revolving door of chefs. So like the story goes, after five years, if you're a salaried chef, they don't force you, but they strongly encourage you to go anywhere else in the world. They'll relocate you, your family. And, and what that created was this revolving door, chefs from all over the world. And I was working with chefs from South Africa and Colombia and, and, and Mexico and Europe. And, and it was awesome. And you get to hear about their experiences and their ingredients, you know, at the Ritz. Their, yeah. um, you know, food cost is not really of the utmost concern there. So, that, you know, these chefs who, were, who had these higher positions, if they were from Australia and they wanted to bring in a fish or something or a, a, a lamb or whatever from Australia, they fly it in. So you get to put your hands on and work with all these crazy ingredients and, you know, octopus and, and all, just, I don't know. It was so fun and exciting for me. Uh, I really, really enjoyed my time there. And then, you know, afterwards I, I, I retained my position and, and became a cook after my, my internship. So uh, I did stay there for about a year and a half after. So that was about 22, 23 at that point. Yep. Yep. 22 years old. And then, and then it was a quick, quick jump to, corporate chef of the melting pot, right? It was a two year period between that. What, what, what happened then? And how did you find that job? Man. So I, I, uh, <laughs> I came back. So I did, I did my two years. Right. And I, I wanted to do four. Um, but I had this girlfriend and, uh, <laughs> and she wanted to move back to Tampa and, uh, and I moved back to Tampa for her, which, you know, never, ever works out. Uh, so if there's advice I'm going to give to any culinary student, don't listen to your girlfriend. Um, but anyway, so I, I moved back home and I, I had, I loved the Ritz so much and there was no Ritz Carlton in Tampa. So we have this beautiful hotel here called the Don Cesar, very famous um, on St. Pete beach. And so I had a friend who also went to Johnson Wales, a family friend, and I was going to try and get it, you know, get a, a position at the hotel. But I ended up talking to my chef, Chris Pont um, from Cafe Pont. And let him know I was coming home. And he was like, Hey man, I really need a pastry chef. Can you come, can you come to the restaurant and, and work for me? 
And I was like, no, no, chef, thank you. But, uh, but I'm not a pastry chef, man. It's, it's not my thing. And he was like, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll teach you everything you need to know. Um, I really need some help right now. And if you help me out here, I'll, I'll make sure I'll, I'll, I'll pay you back later on. And I was like, ah, really don't want to, but all right, I'll, I'll give it a whirl. So I go to Cafe Pond and, and Chef effectively hands me this binder, this huge, you know, two inch full ring binder full of recipes and said, all right, here's all the recipes. Um, I have a trip to Napa. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and he basically handed me this book of recipes, which were his recipes from when he was in France, all in French, all in metric. Uh, and, and, and left me to my own devices to figure out this pastry. Steak. Thanks. <laughs> and so I did. And uh, yeah, and he came back from his Napa trip and uh, it ended up working with me very closely. And he's, like I said, just a great friend and mentor. So I, I ended up staying with him for, for about two years. And towards the end of those two years, the owners of the melting pot, which is, which is based in Tampa, would come to the restaurant all the time. They, they love they loved the restaurant and they would bring, you know, their families or vendors or whatever. And, uh, and they asked Chef, he had two restaurants at the time. They said, hey, do you, um, would you be interested in, in being corporate chef for us? And he said, no, I don't, I don't really have time for that. You know, I have two of my own restaurants. But there's this young kid in the back. He's pretty smart. Uh, he's got a lot of ambition. Um, you should talk to him. And, uh, and they said, all right, we'll tell him to, you know, get us a resume. And at that point, you know, my resume said, you know, Cafe Pond and, and Ritz Carlton kind of, <laughs> but, you know, I, I did, I filled out the paperwork and basically I was like, look, chef, I don't want to go to the corporate world. You know, I'm, I'm a diehard, you know, at that point, like line cook chef. Like I, I, I love the grind of the independent restaurant. I love it. And, uh, I said the corporate world's not for me, and, you know, at that point it, already covered myself in tattoos and uh uh you know it just didn't seem like a <laughs> weren't fitting the mold yeah it just didn't seem like a fit for me right and he said look man this could be the biggest opportunity of your life at, at that point i had a bleach blonde mohawk and he was like go cut your hair go buy a nice shirt and sit down and talk to these guys and uh and i did that and these guys were great and it was two brothers mark and bob and then mike uh he was the the vice president of operations at the time and they and you know they're sitting across the table for me and I'm explaining like what I've done and how hard I work blah 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 and, and they're like look we're not sure if this is gonna if this is gonna pan out let's give it three months and if if it doesn't work out for Mara Chef already said he'd give you your job back and if, if you don't like it for whatever reason you can leave and you know no hard feelings and I was like all right I basically have nothing to lose right now I'll never forget getting that phone call it was it was in like February or, or March maybe it was Mardi Gras. And Dunedin, the town I grew up in, has a huge Mardi Gras celebration. I got that phone call. They told me what I was going to be making. And man, I hung up and I was like, <laughs> I just sat down on the curb and I was like, I've made it. Like, what, what am I going to do with all this money? I can't believe that I've made it. And uh, it was not a huge salary. <laughs> but <laughs> It was bigger than a line cook, right? <laughs> right. It was such a jump. And like, there's insurance and like a salary, like you don't clock in. It was just, it was wild. So anyway, so that that's how it went. In those first three months, I, I, I worked at the, I worked at Cafe Pont still at night. So chef wouldn't let me leave until I trained two people, which it took two people to do my job. But uh, at that point I'd moved on. I was doing catering and working every station and everything else there. But uh, so, yeah, so I would go to the office and, 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 and office from, you know, eight to like five. And then I would haul ass over to Cafe Pont and work the shift from six to like 10 or 11, go home, sleep and, and do it all over again. Um, so I was grinding even that, even those first three <laughs> months, but 
that was his way of repaying you, right? Because he said he was going to repay you one. So he 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 did did you right? That, it seems like a pretty fair trade off given uh, the path that I've been on. <laughs> now you took the position as pastry chef with him. Did 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 you only have the experience from culinary school? Did you That's have it. Two classes. Crazy, crazy, right? That's it. But I had worked for him the previous summer, so I mean, he knew he knew I was a hard worker and he knew I was smart, and I I could figure it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to take a quick pause right now and ask you, the listener of this episode, to sign up for our newsletter and mailing list. I left a link in the description, or maybe even easier, just to go to www.chefroach.com/contact. That's chefroach, all one word, dot com slash contact. Then just go to the bottom of the page and sign up for our newsletter. It's free. Then once you're signed up, you'll never miss out on our latest news, announcements, episodes, contests, course information, or exclusive deals. So go ahead, sign up so you can get all the information and more through the periodic email updates. And don't worry, you can always unsubscribe if you don't like it. The link again is www.chefroach.com contact. So go ahead, do it now. We want you to be part of our community. And if you don't do it now, you'll probably just forget by the time this episode is over. So just hit the pause button right now and take the 15 to 20 seconds to get it done and then come back and hit play. We'll wait for you, I promise. Okay, hopefully you just did it, or you've already done it in the past, or at the very least, you'll be doing it very soon. Your support of the show and the network is very important to us, and we thank you in advance. Alrighty, so now back to the show. So now how is this corporate job now? Now you're going into and you have multiple restaurants and you opened a lot of restaurants and you had a lot of travel in there too, right? So yeah. how did that change your life? Yeah, it was it was wild. I mean, I, I remember going to that first uh, NRA show that May. So it started in like March and um, and went to that, that first NRA show and it blew my mind. I couldn't believe that there was all that stuff there. This is in Chicago? Yeah, in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and people were taking us out to these restaurants, these crazy restaurants. So it was it was awesome. And I have to give you know so much credit to to, to my boss at the time and and eventually he became the president of, of the company, but his name's Mike Lester and just just an all-around great guy. And he saw, you know, I think he saw the potential in me and and, and really let me learn at my own pace but um you know he had been a, a a jvp for outback up in the ohio market he had like you know 20 or 30 restaurants or something like that and you know he was he knew that i didn't know anything about the corporate world but he also knew or saw that there was an opportunity to kind of mold me and and uh and he did and i brought a lot of what i had learned from chef and, and from my time at the ritz about relationships and treating treating vendors and suppliers and distributors with with respect, um, which, you know, unfortunately in, in the corporate side of the business, you know, especially at that point in time, it didn't, it didn't really happen very often. It was more about the money and just straight business transactions. It was, it was a lot about the money. It was a lot about, yeah, shaving, shaving pennies and, and, and nickels off of, off of a price per pound. And, it, and, you know, I'd heard horror stories about it and I, and I knew that that's how some of the industry worked, but I really brought the idea or, 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 
I made it part of like my being, hey, treat these guys with respect and, and it'll it'll foster a long-term relationship. And and it did. And we didn't we didn't pinch pennies, we didn't cut corners, we didn't RFP product every year. And I think that really gave me a, a, a I guess a good name in the industry early on. But uh but yeah, we were open a lot of restaurants. We were selling a lot of international franchises. I mean, I was, you know, I was traveling to Canada and, and Mexico opening restaurants. I spent a ton of time in Mexico City. I opened three restaurants down there and I went to Indonesia and Dubai, uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, I got a, a beautiful trip to Switzerland from our cheese maker. We spent two weeks just traveling all around Switzerland. I went to Gruyere where, you know, Gruyere cheese with building block of fondue was, was, was born. And yeah. it was just so cool. I love the education part of it. Like I love learning. I by no means thought that I knew all there was to know because how could I, I was so young, but I was so hungry. Right. And, uh, you know, obviously at melting pot, we use a lot of cheese, right? So, uh, so I would go, I would go to Wisconsin probably three, four times a year, every single year and just do everything. They made me do it all. They made me, I mean, go, <laughs> go to the farm. They made me, I, you know, I, I've, I've shoveled poop. I've cleaned stalls. I've worked with the cheesemakers starting at three o'clock in the morning, accepting the milk in the truck, just wanted to learn the process. Like what goes into this thing called cheese? So uh, another great friend and mentor, his name is Reggie Heiss. He was the, the corporate chef for Emmy Roth case at that point in time. And he really took me under his wing and, and helped show me the, the ropes on the industry and, and how things work. So yeah, it was a good, a good seven years. Met him a couple times and spent some time at Emmy Roth and they're, they're great people out there. And that... He's, he's amazing, man. He's such a, he, he, he's an educator, right? He, he wants people to learn and to know as much as they can about food. And uh, yeah, he was a road warrior too. I mean, he was spending so much time on the road. And, and so he really taught me, uh, you know, how to work in other people's kitchens mm -hmm. and, um, and how to respect what they're doing. You know, you go to an event and you do an event for 200 people in someone else's hotel, you know, you can't just roll in there and, and take their speed racks. And, you know, so there, there's a, there's a, a dichotomy that exists that you have yeah. respect is, is so important in, in the industry. And, uh, and he really taught me a lot about that. So what was the role they really wanted you for? Was it just to open uh, properties, new properties? Was it to be more of a figurehead? Was it to come up with new recipes, combination? It was actually, yeah, a combination. It was a lot of um, menu ideation and, and creation, you know, uh, finding spec products, improving quality. So, I mean, I, I was I was working with with different suppliers, sauces and spices and, and, and seasonings, dressings, those guys to refine, you know, nothing pot's been around for 30 something years. So to refine these old school recipes and kind of make them a little bit more current. Um, we, we did a thing called the big night out, which is basically like a limited time offer. And we changed that menu every six months and it was themed around some region of the world. So there would be an Asian big night out. And, mm. you know, so I was doing a lot of development of um, like cheese fondue, salad and dressing, the, the marinades and spices and rubs on the meats, because, you know, obviously the customer's cooking everything. And then um, the, the chocolate fondue. So I learned, I wanted to be an expert in cheese. I want to be an expert in chocolate. And that they really allowed me to, to do those things. And in the course of those seven years, we also, we opened and, uh, and created a, a Better Burger concept. It was kind of in the height of the, the Better Burger era. Uh, the brand is called Burger 21. And, um, you know, Chef Pot was was the the originator. He was the first one, and so he created the brand. And then I eventually ended up um, running that brand until I left. But so it was, I got to cook. Still, uh, it wasn't all fun. Dude. <laughs> it wasn't all at the desk. <laughs> exactly. Now, now you uh, then you transitioned. You did seven years there. Opened a lot of properties. You know, did did well for yourself. Did well for the company. Yeah. 
then you had this other opportunity come up with first watch how did that happen yeah i uh well my wife and i had you know we'd had our our first child jack um he's nine years old now and we found out we were pregnant with my daughter olive and you know my wife was also working for the company as a matter of fact she was my she was my server trainer when I started at Melting Pot. So um, that's a whole other podcast, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> uh, industry relationships, maybe. Yeah. Um, but she basically was like, hey, you know, we can't have another year like we had last year. I was traveling two, three weeks at a time and uh, all over the world. And, you know, when you're in Indonesia and something happens, there is no hop on a plane and come home. Right. It's, 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 it's really far. And um, so anyway. So we started talking about our options. You know, I, I actually really loved the corporate world and I wanted to, to stay in it. And um, we started looking at cities where that had the highest concentration of, of corporate offices, right? And, you know, we're looking at Denver and Dallas and, and uh, Orlando, Atlanta. You know, we'd, we'd accepted that we would have to move to one of those cities and, and we were both okay with that. And so I reached out to some friends in these cities and I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to start looking confidentially. And if you know of anything, you know, let me know. And one of my friends, uh, her name's Kendra Cheer, and she was in Dallas. And she basically told me, you don't have to leave Florida. You should go talk to, to Chris down at First Watch. And Chris Tommaso, who's now our president and CEO, was uh, the chief marketing officer at the time. And they'd known each other from just being in the industry. She was a marketing person. So was he. And, and uh, she said they're looking for a corporate chef. And so I said, the breakfast place? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, yeah, the breakfast place. And for a long time, I put it off. You know, I think like three weeks went by, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm very mistakenly so. They're right there, though, right next to Tampa. They're Bradenton. They're right there in that area. Yeah, yeah, Sarasota. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 close by. It's an hour away. But to, in my mind, like, you know, sadly, I was like, I'm. It's kind of lowbrow for me. I, I'm not going to go from running these 150 restaurants in five countries, and um, you know, I was running this massive wine program and melting. But like, to go to a breakfast place that didn't even have alcohol was crazy to me yeah um but anyway so i i, I finally said all right I'll, I'll go talk to this guy and just at least have breakfast with him and see what it's all about and uh and we we sat down to have breakfast and and he basically said to me so you know really nice to meet you you know kendra has great things to say about you what do you know about the brand and i just told him it just first thing that came to my mind i told him i know that's where my grandma takes me for breakfast <laughs> <laughs> and uh and he laughed and he was like, that's a really weird thing to say in an interview. <laughs> I was like, look, man, like I, I'm an honest guy, you know, I'm, I'm going to shoot you straight. But uh, that's what I knew about the brand. And, and it was true. My, my grandmother had taken me to first watch and that's kind of all I knew about it. And he said, you know, we're getting that a lot lately. And, you know, we, we want to make sure that we can change and evolve and keep up with the times. And he showed me a, a drawing on his phone. It, it hadn't even been built yet. Wow showed me a sketch on his phone of a restaurant in North Kansas city. Um, it was wild they, they were going to remodel this restaurant because the, the roof had fallen in. It was such an old restaurant. The snow pack had made the roof fall in and they had plans already that they were going to completely remodel. So they basically took this opportunity to go ahead and pull the trigger. And this restaurant was beautiful. The drawings of it were like, wow, that, that was nothing like any first watch I'd ever seen before. We were at that point, we were, pastel colors and and you know fake grass here and there and it, it was a very 90s feel to think um and luckily our our founder ken pendry and, and chris saw you know saw that and and said you know it's time to evolve and when he showed me that drawing and basically what he said was look we want someone who can make the food keep up with the design 
someone who's young and, and you have a great reputation in the industry and, and we really think it would be a good fit. At that point, we had, I think, 114 restaurants. And, uh, and, I, and I really liked that idea. And I asked him how many franchisees we had. And he told me, and it wasn't very many. And, <laughs> and I said, how much control do I have? And he said, all of the control. I said, who do I report to? He said, me and only me. And I was like, all right, you know what? Let's do this. Let's, let's do it. And I mean, it was thinking back. Like, I don't know what I was doing. I mean, my wife was at that point, four months pregnant. You know, I, I'm talking about completely leaving one place that I was at for seven years, really comfortable and, and, and just like embarking on this journey with this little breakfast concept that you know, at that point had less restaurants and nothing. But anyway, Chris, you know, Chris is a great guy and, and, and obviously a great friend to this day. And he really helped me out and, and, and made me feel welcome. And they did whatever they needed to do to make sure that, you know, my wife, Lisa was taken care of. And um, she was excited about the opportunity. And yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. And actually thinking back to, <laughs> to, to NRA shows. So I, I took the job, I accepted, like, I guess in December, or January, and my first day, they told me my first, my starting day was February 20th, which is my birthday. And I was so nervous to tell him and call Chris and be like, hey, man, it's my birthday. I was wondering if I could have it off. I just didn't call. I said, all right, cool. I'll start on my birthday. <laughs> so I, my birthday and my anniversary is the same day here at First Watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got two celebrations. Exactly. So how many properties do they have now? Because I know you've opened a lot, right? It's really a big growth yeah. right now. In yeah, Canada. it's crazy. So we have uh, 422 restaurants um, as of right now, which is which is just absolutely fantastic. And uh, about 100 of those are here in Florida and we stretch almost coast to coast. We actually don't have anything in California or, or uh, Washington, Oregon, but Arizona is a strong state for us. 26 there, 50 in Texas and 30 something in Colorado. So we're, we're pretty widespread. Wow. I know here in, I live in Delray, Boca. Yep. I know you have a couple in Boca and they just opened one in Delray within the year. So I have got to get over there and see that. Yeah. One of our busiest restaurants, Boca and Sunrise, both of them. <laughs> really? Yeah. I know particularly my son, he loves that uh, million dollar bacon that you have. Uh, that <laughs> candy it's bacon. It's a good right? dish, man. You can't pass it up. You got you to gotta have it. It's only, you know, the perfect dish for the table. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Awesome. So thinking back now that you're at this point in your career, thinking back, was culinary school worth it? Was it, was it instrumental? I mean, all the time and the money and everything and that travel back and forth. I mean, tell us about that. Yeah. For, for me, Absolutely. For me, it was, it was the perfect stepping stone. It was my foot in the door, you know, to, to the Ritz Carlton. It was the basics that I needed, um, the history of things. I, I love to know the why behind stuff and, and culinary school absolutely gave me that. Um, I think it, it also exposed me to lots of different people, just like you're going to come across in, in the industry. And, and, um, culinary school, specifically Johnson and Wales, and then specifically Johnson and Wales in North Miami was an extremely diverse campus mm -hmm. because we were so close to the Caribbean. You had so many students from, uh, the Bahamas, from Jamaica, from Haiti. And so, you know, for, for a kid who, who effectively grew up in a, in a Catholic upbringing, Catholic school, it was really, really different, but it was really, really cool. And, uh, you know, for me in the industry, what I've, what I've learned and what I continue to try and teach or tell anyone who will listen in, in, in the culinary industry or the restaurant industry in general, it, there, there is no color, right? There is, their race doesn't really mean very much. 
sexual sexual orientation. Look, I was you know living in Miami at you know whatever years of early two thousands. Like none of those things mattered as long as you can hold your own during a shift, right? Mm-hmm. Who cares how, how poor you are, how rich you are, what color you are, what country you're from, what language you speak? None of it mattered. If you can do the grind, if you can make it through the shift, then great. We're all friends. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's something that really stuck out to me. And, and like I said, at the Ritz, I got to work next to the people from all over the world. And same thing at school, you know, you're making friends with kids from, from Puerto Rico or Barbados or whatever. And they have they've come from completely different backgrounds than you. But for me, it, it just solidified like how important it is um, to think about equality in, in the workplace. And, you know, you, 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 you hear stories and you think about what's going on in the world. And, and you know, the term racism is something that obviously is, is very um, top of mind for everyone right now. When you look at the industry, it, it, it's I would venture to say it's almost non-existent or maybe it's over-existent. Everyone makes fun of everyone and it right. doesn't come down to to your race, it, it comes down to just like a brotherhood, right? So just like you'll make fun of your friends or, or your, your siblings and, and, and poke fun at them and, and things like that. I feel like that's what goes on in the industry. And, and I, you know, for me personally, it, it made me a better human all around just from having that experience. Yeah, it's so true. It's like brothers in arms in, in the military. You go to battle. It doesn't matter who you are. You got my back. I got yours. We got a job to do. And if you yeah. can keep up your own and, 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 and trust yeah. each other, then all that other stuff goes out the window. It doesn't matter. It really does. It doesn't matter because on Saturday night at, at 730, who cares? Like, let's, let's put this food out. (laughs) (laughs) You know, okay. What you do in your own time, what you do, (laughs) well, you got to get, we got to get this. We have a shared objective here. Yeah. And I think it was important. Like if you're a hard worker and, and you're funny, you have a little bit of a sense of humor, like you're going to be just fine in this industry. It doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl or black or white or, or whatever. And uh, yeah, I worked for some pretty, some pretty tough um, female chefs when I was at the Ritz, as a matter of fact. And, and they were awesome, but they did not take, you know, any crap at all from any of the guys. I mean, it, it, they were they were just as tough and, and foul mouthed as anybody else. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like even, you know, being a, a professor, a teacher, you know, you're not criticizing the person, you're criticizing the job. Yeah. So if I had to do a practical exam for someone, you could be a great person, but this dish stinks. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you totally ruined it. So it's likely not, and you got to separate that. Yeah. The same way in the industry. But I think it's important for people to get to be told that and, and, and let them learn and let them move on and, and evolve and make the next version of that dish that much better. You know, I think that's super important. Yeah. You said you got an A plus in my class? I, I believe so. Yes, you I did. You have the transcript right there. I have it right here. Stock sauces Stock. and soups. Wow. What year was that? A plus. That was winter 2003, 2004. 2003. <laughs> two, that's probably right when I started at Johnson & Wales. I mean, 18 yeah. years or so. So that was probably one of my first, my first year starting there. So, wow. Yeah, it was, it was early. It was early on. Did you have, um, how many kids do you have? Three, three boys. Okay. Did you have, was one of them born in that general vicinity? Yeah. Yeah. My oldest is Jameson and he is 19 now, 18, 19. He's a sophomore at UF up the University of Florida. Yeah. So, so I, I seem to remember that you missed classes because your son was born. Oh, shame on me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that, that, that stuck out of my, in my mind for sure. Yeah, probably did. So I, I love that class. It was actually a lot of prep and a lot of knife work. Um, taught in that class, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they kind of go hand in hand. In most culinary programs, mm-hmm. curriculums, they have knife skills because then you have a use for all those 
vegetables that you practice cutting and make stocks and soups yep. and purees and things out of it. So yeah, it was knife skills. Well, back then the curriculum has changed two or three times. They don't even yeah. have that class anymore. Now it's culinary fundamentals or foundations and they kind of blend those two in those it's a sous vide class or something now right yeah 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 it's totally (laughs) changed i mean even the the college you know used to be the college of culinary arts now it's cfit uh college of food innovation and technology so it's really evolving just like you know the industry i guess the world yep yep your class is my favorite class my class was the favorite (laughs) class <laughs> hands hands down, hands down, hands down. <laughs> cool. So, what's next for you? I, mean, I guess you're gonna you're with this company. You got to keep continue it to grow. Uh, what's what's personally ready? Are you gonna you're going back to school? You're still taking courses. What's next with you? Yeah, I, you know, being here for for seven years and and watching this company grow from 114 to to over 400 has just been such a sweet ride. Like it's. It really is a cool job, and and um, you know when I when I first took that corporate job at, at Melting Pot yeah, at twenty five, you know all my friends were still in the industry, and there was a lot of smack talking that went on, like oh you're sellout, you know you're 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 leaving, you can't handle the heat, and, and a lot of a lot of things were said uh, early on there, but uh, but now all of them are like hey do you know anybody who's hiring in the corporate world. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh it's cool man it's a it's a really sweet gig and 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 i i love um the continued education that i get um i i make it a point to make that a big part of my role here and um and you know i i obviously have traditional responsibilities of, of r&d and, and menu item creation you know we, we change our menu every 10 weeks have a seasonal menu and and do a ton with fresh produce, fresh fruits and vegetables. You know, every single first watch across the country, juices fresh every morning, Fuji apples, English cucumber, kale, beets, turmeric, and, and whatever's in season, watermelon and pineapple right now. But so I, I, I really enjoy that side. I enjoy learning about supply chain, especially, and understanding where this food comes from and, and how it gets to the back door. Um, and I, I take that part of my job pretty seriously. And I, I really um, use, I guess, I guess my platform or, or, or the first watch platform mm-hmm. to tell the story of, of those growers. And, you know, we, we highlight our, our vendor partners quite often. Um, you know, I, I actually, right now we're running a watermelon juice in summertime, right? So we're juicing a lot of water. <laughs> uh, and uh, any given first watch is going through about, I think it's like 50 to 60 watermelons per week just for this juice right and um we went down to uh uh to punta gorda uh, which is here on the on the west coast of florida and, and took our uh, film crew with us to a place called melon one and and basically went out into the watermelon field and and, and filmed a ton of stuff and just uh, from you know watermelons are hand harvested um still to this day there's no machine that's been created for it so um, the work that goes into growing and watching out for them and then harvesting and packing and shipping and making sure they get to where they're supposed to be. It's a, it's a massive dance and a very important one. Um, obviously not just to get watermelon to people, but like for Florida agriculture, I think, you know, a lot of people just think Florida and they just think about the beaches and they don't realize like when you look at the map of Florida, the beaches are just on the outside. Yeah. So you have all this land in the center of our state and there's, there's awesome um, growers. You know, I do a lot of work at the Florida strawberry growers association, um, watermelon, obviously tomatoes, oranges, of course. And, and I, I, I like to use, I guess my voice to, to try and tell their story as much as we can. So 
you'll see it in our on our Instagram um, and in our our website and, and even on our menus right now. There's a little story about a about a couple of watermelon growers that we met down there, um, Kyler and Rachel, and um, you know they're 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 third and and eighth generation Florida farmers, and it's just I love that part of my job. So that that is something that I I you know, you ask if I'm doing any continued education or still taking courses, not official courses through a university or anything online or anything like that. But like, I love to go out and spend a day or two days in Southern California with our avocado growers, you know, Northern California for everything else, right? Spring mix and and berries. And, and just, I want to know where this product comes from. I want to know what goes into it being grown and, and harvested, packed and shipped so that when I go to our restaurants, I can open that box and I can explain to that, that, that cook or, or that manager, Hey, you know, here's what we should be looking for. And here's what this means. And here's what that means. And the colors and the feeling and the touch, the smell of things. Yeah. So I, I love that part of it all. I, we, you know, we created our own coffee program here and, and I go to Columbia, um, down to Columbia, a little place called Huila every single year. Um, we single origin source all of our coffee from this one place and we partner with female growers down there and, and really just trying to, to help them better their lives. We have a great quality incentive program in place. So if their quality is uh, of a certain degree, then they get a bonus at the end of the year. And we just developed and built these really cool programs that, you know, unfortunately in, in the chain restaurant world, it's it's not that common, right? And, and you know, I, I fought with this for a long time as we continue to grow. I, I want to be viewed almost as as the anti-chain. And, uh, yeah. you know, when you think about chain restaurants, unfortunately, you think lower quality and, and in and out, um, really quick uh, service, not great service. And I, I really, you know, hope that people look at us and, and yes, we have a lot of restaurants. So there's no arguing that. But I think if you look at our focus on quality and you look at how we treat our people and you look at our, our even in our corporate office, the, the supply chain strategies that we use, these are long-term relationships. Um, mm-hmm. We don't RFP product every year. We don't cut you out if you raise price. Like we we understand and, and we we see value in building those long-term relationships. So um, I really, uh, I enjoy that part of it. And yeah. Now finally getting back on the road, I get to I get to travel a little bit. So I do open restaurants here and there. Um, you know, we got to, we created an entire alcohol program and, and bar menu, which is something we'd never had before. And over the years, it's just been a, a really fun ride. You know, yeah. you, you brought up million dollar bacon. We, we you know we 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 do these things, and we don't know how it's going to take off, right? And and right. that's just become this ridiculous cult following that. We can never take off the menu, even if we wanted to. And I think fresh juice is the same way. You know, we wrote a cookbook a, a couple of years ago. So we, I don't know, I, I, it's always something new. I'm, I'm not, I never feel like I'm, I'm bored and like, oh, well, we're just keep on plugging along and opening restaurants. Like it's, right. it's more than that. Yeah. There's so much like life and, and story to be told. And that's so awesome that you, you know, showcase the vendors and the, the partners that you have out there because they truly are partners. And yeah. a lot of restaurants, as you mentioned, are all thinking about the dollars. And But really, it's like it starts with the vendor, right? With the growers, with the producers. And, and we're just the finisher, right? We just yeah. take that beautiful raw product and, and, and sh- share it with the guests, right? By, you know, manipulating it in some way. But it really starts from that that beginning. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I guess I've taken on my own shoulders. Like, it's it's the way I see it, my responsibility to teach that to our managers and to our cooks and to, and to I don't know, help them or force them, I guess, have respect for that ingredient. You know, see it as more than just a box of kale coming in the back door. Um, yeah, it's super important. Yeah, we're going to make 
you know, we're going to make money off of it from a profit margin standpoint, but like think all the way back, you know, someone, avocados are a perfect example, right? We use a ton of fresh avocados and, you know, it takes an avocado 14 months to grow um, to, to maturity and to be ready to, to harvest. So someone worked on that ranch, made sure that tree had enough water, pruned it, took care of it, loved it for 14 months to harvest it, pack it, send it to your restaurant. You, you have like five days to take care of it, man. Just just take care of this baby for the last five days of its life before we make something out of it. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, that, that's the story I tell about avocado. <laughs> well, I, f- I feel their pain because I have an avocado tree right out back. Hoss <laughs> bacon. And I'm fighting the squirrels, the birds, the iguanas. I'm like, that's my avocado. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think of that on a massive scale. And, and you know, we, we, uh, we, we coined this phrase and, and use this strategy called follow the sun. And, and what it means, you know, we, we, we started talking about it probably like five years ago when everyone was saying, you know, local this, local that. And, um, and we, were, we were getting some heat for not sourcing, quote unquote, locally, right? Mm-hmm. And the way that I've always thought about it is, you know, just because something's local doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best. Right. Um, yes, it's from right down the road. But at the same time, there are awesome producers and farmers all over this country. So the way that we look at it is we want to take from an area when it's the perfect time of year, right? So uh, when that product is at its ripest, when it's most perfect. So in the wintertime, strawberries come from Florida, you know, hands down, right? And I grew up here, born and raised. So for me, summer doesn't equal strawberries. It never has. It never, never clicked like that for me as a kid. Right. It's like our tomatoes, right? Tomatoes in Florida. Exactly. Yeah. Winter always meant strawberries for me. So when winter comes, we we source all of our strawberries here in Florida and and have a great partnership and and ship those strawberries all over the country. But when the season changes, we go out to California and during springtime and summertime, all the berries are coming from California. Then there's a short gap and we go down to Mexico because they're growing absolutely beautiful berries. And the same goes for avocados, right? There's a short season in California, Southern California, from like April to, to June, July. Once that changes, then we go down to Mexico. We source from Mexico. And if uh, Mexico isn't great, then we go all the way down to Chile. And so understanding the season and, and where this product comes from, watermelon, great example, right? It starts in South Florida, start down there in Immokalee in, uh, in the beginning of the summer, and it works its way all the way up through Florida, all the way up the coast, and, and then eventually finishes some in Texas and some up in uh, up in New Jersey. But, you know, I, I respect, I think, more than anything, the produce side of the industry. And right. um, for us, over 40% of our spend is in fresh produce. Wow. That's a lot, Yeah, um, especially for, you know, a, a quote-unquote chain restaurant. So um, I try and explain that to people and, and help them understand we're not like, um, other other chains or, or huge conglomerates, you know, we still have a ton of, of, of resources and respect for people out in the field. And um, I try and spread that word as much as I possibly can. That's great. Awesome. Now, you mentioned Instagram. So how can somebody follow you if they want to get in touch with you or they want to see what's happening at First Watch yeah. or they want to, you know, kind of follow along? Maybe you could share some of your social media, you know, links, addresses. I can put it in the show notes, but you go ahead and, you know, speak to it now. Yeah, sure. So so Instagram is first.watch and uh, it's awesome, man. So, so much cool content. We have so much fun with it. And uh and it's it's wild to see what people gravitate towards and what 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 photos or what stories we put up that get the most likes and, and comments. You know, um, we do usually with each um, seasonal menu, we do a great giveaway with one of our suppliers. Right um, this year or this season, rather, it's with uh, watermelon.org. 
um, which is the watermelon growers board. And, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's just cool. It's, that's that in my opinion is the best and fastest way to tell a story, right? Because everyone's on there, they're scrolling through, they don't want to watch a, a three or four minute video. They want little clips. And if something catches their eye, then they'll dig deeper and, and go find more information. So you can go to our website, which is firstwatch.com. There's a lot of information on there. Um, we have a, a blog post that's on there. We tell, again, tell the story of our, our coffee growers in Columbia or watermelon farmers here in Florida or, or cheesemaker in Wisconsin or whatever it is. But yeah, that, that would be the, the two easiest ways. Um, we're, of course, on Facebook as well. So um, First Watch would be the handle there. And I'm, I'm assuming you're hiring as well. I mean, a lot of places are right now. So can they, can they find where to get employment on the website? Jeff, send me your resume. I'll hook you up, man. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, of course. We're, we're hiring. If you go to firstwatch.com backslash careers, um, it will take you down the right road. It'll help you uh, pick, a, pick a location based on where you are in the country and then give you a listing, actually, of all the positions that are open. And if you select um, Sarasota or Bradenton, Florida, it'll give you all the corporate office jobs as well. So we're... Uh, I don't know if you can see behind me here, but my office is like completely cleared out. So next week we are moving to a brand new office um, right up the road. It's it's absolutely beautiful. It's right off 75. So if you're going 75 south right before exit 220, you'll uh, you'll see this massive uh, Taj Mahal of an office that we've been building for the last year and a half. So we're really excited to get in there and uh, and have everybody under one roof again. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Great. So I'll put all those links into the show notes. So if someone's listening and they want to, uh, you know, go back to that and find out how to get in touch, they'll be able to find that. And then, um, you know, as we come to the end here towards our, our end wrapping up, is there any last minute advice or guidance that you want to leave with the listeners? I mean, if someone wanted to go to culinary school, wanted to enter into this industry, wanted to do something, what would you tell them? How would you advise them? I uh, had the opportunity when I was at Melting Pot and I still do to this day to, to go and speak to a lot of um, high school culinary um, programs, especially in Tampa, you know, we're pretty well known up there. Uh, um, Chamberlain program's awesome. Late Ohio is, is fantastic. And, you know, I, I made friends with those instructors over the years and they would always ask me to come and, and speak. And I think early on, I, I was like, why do these kids even care? Uh, but then I, I, I realized, you know, I, I kind of, I, I was young and I looked like them, right? I, I had full sleeves and tattoos and I, I, they could relate to me. And it wasn't like, a celebrity chef coming in or, or, you know, an older guy um, or girl coming in. So, you know, over the years, I, I kind of had to think real hard, like I could have a serious impact on these kids' lives. So what do I want to say to them? And, and what continued to come up for me, um, and it's something I, I didn't really have the opportunity to do until I got older and, and, and took these corporate jobs, but I would say leave, go travel, go see the world. Hey, it'll, it'll make you a better person. It'll, it'll teach you how to be humble. Um, you know, I've been very fortunate to see so many different countries and, 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 and these are, these are trips where I don't go and stay at the Ritz Carlton. These are, these are trips like Columbia. Like I go deep into the jungle and, you know, you can watch some of those videos. We publish those videos on our, on our website. Um, but I, I think that's such an important part of everyone's like personal development, right? Go travel the world. Um, even if you have to wash dishes somewhere, go wash dishes somewhere, make just enough money to, to survive and to experience, you know, eat, just sit in a park and eat a baguette in France or, or, or whatever. Like those little things will pay dividends in the long run and just your, your, the way you treat other people, the stories you have to tell, you know, I think that's a, a really big um, part of everyone's growth that, that I don't think is stressed as much. And, uh, and I, and I know, you know, for me, 
um, you know, I, I didn't do it because I had a girlfriend and I didn't want to leave and, and all these reasons, right? Um, leave, leave that girlfriend or, or bring her with you or, or whatever you need to do. But like, I think that's a really important part of, of development as, as a cook or as a human in general, but um, especially as a cook or, or a chef, if that's what you want to do in your career, go see the world. And you don't have to work in the best restaurant in, in, in the capital city of every country. Just go work at a pizza place, like learn about the dough, learn about the sauce, what, you know, whatever, go work at a seafood restaurant, you know, butcher and, and, and take apart tons and tons of fish every single day. Like you'll be a better person for it. So that's, that's my, my first, uh, my first part of advice. And I think, you know, my second to your point is, is, is culinary school, right? Um, I think absolutely. If, if this is your path in life and you want to get the basics down, you want to get your foot in the door somewhere, 100%. Um, Johnson and Wales was, was an amazing place for me personally. I, I really enjoyed my time there. I made some great lifelong friends and, and I certainly would not be where I am today had I not gone there and, you know, some, some doors opened for me, some unique opportunities because of people I met through Johnson and Wales. You know, like I said, Chef was a, was a JWU uh, graduate from, from Providence and, you know, he gave me this opportunity and he knew I was going to Johnson and Wales and, I think all these doors open for me, it's very likely can be traced back to, to my time at, at Johnson and Wales. Um, you know, once that door is open, it's up to you to, to, to step through it and, and do whatever you're going to do on the other side. But I, but I truly believe that, you know, for me, Johnson and Wales opened, opened that first door and, and got me rolling on this path. Yeah, so true. If this experience matters, travel, you don't even know what it's going to pay off later on. And, you know, it's just lifelong learning, you know, go to school, study, take classes. Yeah. And if you can't, there's so many online opportunities now or just, you know, experiences like you to go talk to a vendor and go yep. work for a while and yep. get a practical experience. Well, that is just about all the time we have for this episode. I want to first thank you, Shane, for coming on the show today and sharing your culinary school story with all of us. We really appreciate your time, your insight, and your honesty and all the stories that you shared with us and the listeners. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Chef. I, I greatly appreciate it, and, and I value my time at Johnson & Wales and the time I spent together with you, and, and thanks for reaching out. I, I love telling the story. Awesome. Thank you very much. See you later now. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, Chef. And a big thanks and appreciation also goes out to all of you, the listeners. We hope you enjoy the show and this episode. You all are a big part of this show, so please let us know what you think. Your comments are always welcome, and they help us in making the best show possible. You can email them to culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. That's culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. Or even leave us a voicemail at area code 207-835-1275. That's area code 207-835-1275. And if you like the show, we have a big ask of all of you. And that is to share the podcast with everyone you know. And to give us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, until our next culinary school story, take care and be well. Bye-bye. Culinary School Stories is a proud member of the Food Media Network.